It's Friday, July 20th, and this is The Daily Dive. It's Friday, so we have a fun slate of stories for you to enjoy, and they're all about toys. First up, old toys. Collectible toy values are on the rise. Matthew Kitchen, gear and gadgets editor for The Wall Street Journal, joins us to talk about the rising collectible market and the 20-year rule. That means start looking for your Power Rangers and Harry Potter toys. Next, new toys. The video game phenomenon Fortnite continues to rake in the cash. It just pulled in over $1 billion in the first half of 2018. Eli Blumenthal, reporter for USA Today, will tell us all about how this free-to-play game makes its money. It's all about dressing up your character with cool costumes that offer no gameplay advantage. Finally, future toys. Flying cars may soon be more of a reality. Larry Page, co-founder of Google, just bought up his third flying car company. Other big companies like Uber are also working on big projects to bring you EVTOLs, electric vertical takeoff and landing vehicles. Mark Harris, science and tech writer, joins us to talk about why these are the electric scooters of aviation. It's news without the noise. Let's dive in. You rip it open to play with the toy, and so the box is actually as rare or more rare than a lot of the rare toys because they just get discarded. And 20 years later, you know, you have a toy, but you don't have a box. Joining us now is Matthew Kitchen, gear and gadgets editor for The Wall Street Journal. Collectible toys. Values are on the rise for these things. It's not just Star Wars. It's a lot of other stuff. Let's start from the top. What makes a toy collectible? And tell us about the 20-year rule. The 20-year rule is actually something I also uh, learned about when I was reporting this. It makes sense in that when you were a kid, you play with a toy, you love that toy, you eventually forget about that toy. 20 years later, you have money, you have maybe a job a relationship, everything else you want in life, but you've forgotten about that toy. And so people oftentimes are oddly buying their childhood back by going back and trying to remember all the things they had. So how big is the potential to make money on this stuff? You know, when you're a kid, obviously, like you said, you, you know, you beg your parents and it's a waste of money at some point. And now that we're older, we can buy these things for ourselves. We want to collect them. We want to have fun with them. But what's the market like? The market is kind of what you make of it. It's really difficult to make money buying and trading toys unless you make it a full-time job. It's kind of like everything. A lot of times, the better thing is just to kind of choose what you like. If you're a He-Man guy, if you're a Batman guy, if you're a Superman guy, just buy the things that you like and kind of surround yourself with the with the things you enjoy. And occasionally, if other people like them, they'll rise in value as well, and, and you can trade them off and sell them however you want at that point. But, you know, a lot of the guys I talked to, it was all about the collection. It wasn't really about the money. Even the guys who owned comic stores and did actually make a living off of this, a lot of the times it was kind of secondary to the fact that they just had all these things that they like surrounding themselves with. We always hear phrases like mint condition in the box. Why is the box such an important thing with collectibles? The fact that the box kind of guarantees the condition of the toy is obviously important. But what was really interesting that I came across when I was reporting this out was that James Gallo, who's the owner of Toy and Comic Heaven in Willow Grove, Pennsylvania, who's also an avid collector himself, had kind of explained that the box is the thing that gets thrown away. You rip it open to play with the toy. And so the box is actually as rare or more rare than a lot of the rare toys because they just get discarded. And 20 years later, you know, you have a toy, but you don't have a box. 
there is as much or more nostalgia tied to the box. You know, it's about Christmas morning. You maybe didn't get that thing you want. And all of a sudden your parents are like, oh, what is this surprise gift we found behind the sofa? And they bring it out and you shred it open. And the first thing you see is that Optimus Prime or whatever it is staring back at you through the plastic. And that becomes a very important moment, sometimes much more so even than actually bashing the toys together. Here's the big question. And everybody perk your ears up right now. (laughs) What toys are heating up right now? What are the things? that are getting hot and increasing in value. One of the toys that's, that's heating up right now that was really interesting to me was these vintage Star Wars figures from the Droids animated series. And I don't know if you're familiar with this. I certainly wasn't. No. And I'm a Star Wars nerd myself. But it was a 1985 animated series starring R2-D2 and C-3PO together on their own adventures. Um, it lasted... <laughs> I'm sorry, that sounds very exciting, actually. <laughs> it was very weird uh, at best. I'm sure it's on YouTube somewhere. It only lasted 13 episodes. I can't imagine why. And so the toy Toys from that series have kind of just sprung up oddly again recently as something that people are kind of chasing, partially because they're so rare and obscure, but also just because they're unique, they're interesting, and they're just kind of this untapped part of the Star Wars universe. Um, You know, other things, Power Rangers are huge right now because we've hit that 20, 25-year mark. I had all the Power Rangers. Oh, man, I had a ton of these things, (laughs) but I have no more boxes. I probably have like an old crate full of Power Rangers toys that are not well kept. So they're not worth anything, but I had the same thing. I had a ton of these things. Yeah, that was the one that stuck out to me the most. It's like, man, that that could have been something. My Little Pony bronies and everybody else are are bringing those back. Harry, Harry Potter was an interesting one. Yeah, Harry Potter is interesting because that's another one that's hitting that 20-year point. There are a lot of toys, and, and I, you know, I'm not a Harry Potter person. I, I never really read the books. Um, I was never really a fan of the movies. But people who like the toys and who played with them as kids are reaching that age. Sorry to, to kind of diverge, but another part about this is the relevance. Harry Potter has been relevant for 20 years. Right, right. It's not just that it existed and then it came back. Harry Potter has, you know, we've had our movies, we've had our books, we've had our toys, we've had a spin-off series at this point. And so that that amount of relevance really matters to the toy being important as well, because it's not only rising and falling in value, it is just consistently going up because the toy and the, and the property, the IP never goes away. What are ones that we should not waste our time on? You know, the Funko Pops. The Funko Pops are really losing value for a couple of reasons. One is just that there's no play value. They, you just kind of put them on a shelf and you stare at them and you're like, well, those are nice. Right. And then you walk away. Uh, the other part is that there's just too many of them. Yeah, they're, they're making them for every single genre and movie and everything. There's this weird balance with collecting. When there's too many of something, you just can't collect them all, so you feel defeated. And when there's too few of something, you can't collect anything, so you feel defeated. And so there really is kind of an interesting groove that these toy lines have to hit to kind of catch that wave and really blow up. Last question I have for you. What is the holy grail of collectible toys? And it was funny because uh, reading your article, it's a death trap is really the <laughs> most highly sought after thing. Yeah, the the kind of holy grail, the white whale, kind of whatever you want to call it, is this Boba Fett toy that came with this rocket-firing backpack, and apparently because it was a choking hazard, it never got released, yet somehow these prototypes kind of 
sell out into the world and, and these people pick them up and you know they trade at astronomical rates. The last one that went on sale, I believe it was in March, sold for more than $86,000. The fact that it's Star Wars obviously really elevates it. The fact that it's Boba Fett, I think, elevates it. And the fact that it is just this incredibly rare and obscure really sends it out of the stratosphere. Matthew Kitchen, gear and gadgets editor for The Wall Street Journal. Thank you very much for joining us. Thank you very much for having me. So how are they making all this money? A lot of it is coming from people buying custom skins or outfits or buying custom axes, custom gliders, all these little customizations that make your players stand out. They don't add any value to the game. Joining us now is Eli Blumenthal, reporter for USA Today Tech and USA Today Money. We're going to talk about Fortnite. It's one of these game phenomenons that's going on right now. It's a first-person shooter. It's a free game that you can download and just... You don't have to put any money into it if you don't want to. But they just had a pretty big milestone in 2018 so far. We're only have a little more than halfway through it. They've already crossed the $1 billion mark in revenue. Tell us a little bit about what's going on with Fortnite. Fortnite has, in the first half of 2018, already reached $1 billion in revenue, according to research firm Superdata, who tracks the video game industry. The surprising aspect of this is that Fortnite, as we all know, is a free game. It's something that you can download on Xbox, on PlayStation, on the Nintendo Switch, on your phones, on your computers, and it's free. You don't need to pay any money beyond, if you're on Xbox or PlayStation, the subscription charge is there. So how are they making all this money? A lot of it is coming from people buying custom skins or outfits or buying custom axes, custom gliders, all these little customizations that make your players stand out. They don't add any value to the game. Yeah, these are all cosmetic. They offer no game advantages. So, you know, buying a costume that makes you look like a ninja doesn't help you sneak around any better or anything like that. Yeah, so we had somebody who purchased a uh, bunny outfit because it was Easter. She thought it was cute. As you mentioned, it makes no difference in the game. It doesn't, you know, give you any extra powers. It doesn't give you a better weapon. It doesn't give you any type of advantage. And the publisher, Epic Games, is very clear that when you buy these outfits, you are not getting any advantage for it. They have about 125 million players, and it's made Fortnite the highest grossing free-to-play game. You talk to a bunch of people that are avid gamers with this game and how much they've paid. There's one person that you said uh, you detailed in your article that said he spent about 140 to 100 sixty dollars just on these cosmetic things i mean an average game right now for a console costs about 60 bucks depending on what it is and what add-ons it has so he spent more than twice the cost of a regular game just on cosmetic stuff so far yes a lot of people are viewing this as an appreciation of sorts to fortnite because they are not charging anything up front. They're not like a Call of Duty or a Madden or an NBA 2K where you pay $60 up front for the game. Because they're enjoying it, they decided, why not? Let me buy some things. Let me join up with my uh, friends. This way we all match playing online together. I mean, the free-to-play game model has been around for a little bit, and, and that's how they make their money, obviously, with add-ons and buy you buy this and whatnot. But this game in particular, I mean, some of these games, free-to-play games, are, you know, end up getting a little boring after a bit or aren't as well-developed. Fortnite came out with a fully developed game, and it plays well. It's fun. Like I said, it's a first-person shooter. You're on a big map, and it's a huge play base. You start with like 100 people and last man standing wins. So they made a really fun game in this first player shooter genre, and it's just a, a super hit. 
what Fortnite really did that stood out is that they are updating constantly. There's this cartoony, not realistic aspect of it. There's the building aspect, which yeah. people like if you've played Minecraft. So all of this combines to really make something that's fun, it's fast, it looks great. And it's a hit all over the place. Talk a little bit about its relevance at the MLB All-Star Game and the, and the World Cup even. On Instagram, you see people reenacting these dances during the All-Star Game. Fox, which broadcasts the game, had all these players talking about how much they love the game and reenacting their favorite dances. There have been photos of players during rain delays during baseball games playing Fortnite on the Jumbotrons. At the World Cup this past Sunday between France and Croatia, France's Antoine Griezmann, when he scored the goal, he did the take the L dance, which he sticks his finger up in an L on his forehead and does a little shuffle. That is crazy if you think about this game and what it means and what its place is in our culture right now. I play Fortnite every now and then. It's pretty fun. Question for you. Do you play Fortnite? I do play. I'm not particularly good, nowhere near as good as some of the people I spoke to. But I do play. How much have you put into the game monetarily? And what is your skin? What does your avatar look like? Well, I actually haven't put anything in. And that's one of the great things about Fortnite. And one of the reasons why it has 125 million players is if you want to get a skin and you want to customize your player and you want to pay for that, you can. I think I got a like a small $5, $10 bundle or something. My guy looks like an astronaut. And I was like, that's yeah, enough. I'm, I'm good with that one. This model has been around for a little bit. Do you think it's going to take off? with a lot of other games. These type of massive one versus 100 or you have a little team versus other teams, that we're already starting to see make its impact. Call of Duty, that will have a Battle Royale mode, they've said. As for the cosmetic upgrades, that's something that a lot of people really are enjoying. They're enjoying the fact that with this game, with Fortnite, you don't have to pay to have an advantage. Past games, if you wanted to get a gun faster or you wanted to unlock a character, you'd have to pay for it. That's important to a lot of people that skills remain equal and that you have to really get good at a game to be competitive. Eli Blumenthal, reporter for USA Today Tech and USA Today Money, thank you very much for joining us. Thank you for having me. Like a helicopter, Cora takes off and lands vertically, so it doesn't need a runway or an airport. But unlike a helicopter, Cora is remarkably quiet. Cora can fly faster than 150 kilometers an hour, and unlike cars on the road, it travels in a straight line, and it will never have to stop at a traffic light. Joining us now is tech journalist Mark Harris. We found your latest article on The Verge. Google co-founder Larry Page is quietly amassing a flying car empire. He's now bought up a third company of these flying cars. They're called EVTOLs, short for Electric Vertical Takeoff and Landing Vehicles. Tell us a little bit more about what Larry Page is doing. It's really emerged that he's been quite excited about the idea of reinventing air transport, the idea that electric helicopters or something very similar to electric helicopter could be used for people to get around town where you might currently use a ride sharing like uber or lyft they're talking about higher speed vehicles so you can actually you know get where you're going much quicker and much more safer and more quietly than than existing helicopters i love the way you refer to it in your article the electric scooters of aviation only because those are taking off everywhere right now there's been a lot of interest it's not just larry page even like airbus big companies are funding activities in this area they're all trying to find the, the sweet spot between carrying enough people having 
in enough battery range is the big problem. And then also kind of safety and regulatory issues. So there's lots of people doing it, but we hadn't really realized until last week quite how serious Larry Page was about having multiple efforts on the go at the same time. Even on that front, uh, I think it was a few months ago, I remember we did the story, Uber was saying that we're going to have these network of flying taxis ready to go by 2020. And they look like big drones. But tell us about the three companies right now that Larry Page has going. The first thing to clarify is it's not a Google or Alphabet initiative. It's Larry Page's own money. It's his own little, um, it sounds like one of their moonshot, one of their their X division programs, but it's not. It's actually Larry Page himself putting his own money into this. And so that's why he's managed to keep it super secret and super quiet. He actually poached the engineer who led Google's self-driving car program for quite a few years. There's a lot of people with the heritage from Google, but really a, a, a lot of new blood to aerospace engineers that he has funded. Now, the first vehicle he got going was really the idea of a, like a flying taxi. So it would be a four-seater vehicle, and then it would carry you short distances within a city. That's kind of evolved down to like a two-seater vehicle to actually give it the range to be able to carry enough people. The second vehicle that they announced a while ago was something called the Flyer, and that's basically a flying boat. It's a kind of leisure activity, so you might go into a, you know, whereas today people might jump on a jet ski at their local lake. In the future, he kind of imagines people jumping into one of these flyers and flying either around the lake or perhaps short, you know, <laughs> short distances that might make sense for... I would love it. That sounds know. fun. And then the new one, really, so then, then last week, you know, it didn't look like a Larry Page company at first. It's a company called Opener. They had their roots in Canada, but they say they relocated to, to Palo Alto in 2014, and they've come up with a, a single-seater aircraft that's quite stylish and beautiful. It's another one of these ones you can fly without a pilot's license. You can sit in it without a pilot's license. It flies itself. But I did a little bit of digging and found out that it, it's, it didn't just relocate to, to the Silicon Valley. Actually, Larry Page bought it and was trying to keep it quiet that he had bought this third flying car effort. People are saying he paid about maybe $10 million for, for this new venture? Probably a little bit more than that. That's just one source I talked to who was quite closely involved um, with it at some time. These are all very new and still in the development phase, obviously. But describe to us what they look like. I mean, I'm seeing some pictures of these. They look like planes, basically. They don't really look much like cars. No, they're not cars. Flying cars is kind of the wrong word. There is one effort that's actually trying to make a flying car, like a car with wheels that go drive to an airport, take off, and then drive to wherever you go. That's called Terrafuge, and that was recently bought by the parent company of Volvo. So they're well-funded. But pretty much everyone else is developing, you know, what are really electric helicopters. They're kind of like drones on steroids. They have multiple propellers, electric propellers. And they have multiple because, one, it's way safer than having one big helicopter blade that that can fail and is very noisy. So you have lots of little propellers and they can be quite efficient and quite quiet. They can come in all different shapes and sizes, just like drones do. Some of them have tilting rotors. Other ones have ones that go up and then more like a plane wing to fly you sideways. So it's super interesting because there are all these different shapes and uh, formats of of, uh, aircraft that we just haven't seen before. You get all these visionaries, these people like Elon Musk and Larry Page, you know, that are trying to revolutionize travel for the future. There's things like Hyperloop, uh, high-speed travel that way. You're getting these quote-unquote flying cars, uh, flying taxi things. But what do you see uh, kind of the future? I think what we're really seeing is an awareness that our current modes of transport, you know, particularly the internal combustion engine, is just incredibly damaging, both in terms of air pollution and climate change. There's this move to try and reimagine electric vehicles. Electric cars are super, you know, are doing okay. But these smaller electric 
locomotives kind of enable all of these other kind of forms of transport, from the electric scooters to bikes to aircraft, and even sort of the self-contained underground, you know, subway trains that Elon Musk is talking about as well. Right. There's room for all of them as long as cities are willing to take a little bit of a risk to build some infrastructure. Right. There. Well, sign me up for a flying car because I I want to be, you know, I want to have my own control and go and come as I please. So I would love something like this. Uh, and uh, if we can get something going, Larry Page, let's work on that. So Mark Harris, tech journalist, thank you very much for joining us. Thanks a lot, Oscar. It was a real pleasure. All right, that's it for this week. Join us on social media at Daily Dive Pod on Twitter and Daily Dive Podcast on Facebook. We love the feedback, so don't forget to leave us a comment and give us a rating. Follow The Daily Dive on iHeartRadio or subscribe wherever you get your podcasts. The Daily Dive is produced by Miranda Moreno and engineered by John Considine. I'm Oscar Ramirez in Los Angeles, and this was your Daily Dive.